Hello everyone and welcome to the first Military History Visualized podcast. And yes, I'm aware about the quite contradictory title. So I probably will rename this Military History Verbalized podcast. Now, let's get started. The basic function of a weapon is to deliver a destructive force. Now, since nowadays we have a wide range of targets from an airfield to a submarine to bunkers, personal, infantry, tanks, everything, there are a lot of special purpose warheads out there. But we will get to them later. And at first, let's look at how to quantify damage. So in quantifying damage, one thing is very important is the probability of delivering damage. Factors that influence the probability is the proximity of the warhead to the target, the vulnerability of the target. For instance, a fragmentation warhead usually does very little damage to armored vehicles or armored elements. And then the effects of the warhead. For instance, is it a shock, shock blast, warhead, fragments, or other forms of energy delivery there are, of course, way more factors, but those three are one of the main ones. Now, there is a complete area of strike planning out there, and it's basically data on different warheads versus different targets and the probability and damage potential. And it's called the Joint Munitions Effectiveness Manuals, and it's more than 100 volumes. If, if you're really into that, I'm not, I'm not sure if they declassified, but this was probably quite an interesting read. Well, I guess not, because it's probably only tables full of data. How could something like this look? For instance, you have a, a weapon versus a special target. Then, for instance, let's say a bomb versus a vehicle. And you have a 90% chance that there's light damage on the vehicle with that bomb. And you have a 50% chance to do moderate damage. And then you have a 10% chance of doing heavy damage. Now, this was an unguided bomb. If you now take a guided bomb, in certain cases, it could be 90% for everything. Because the hit chance increases substantially because it's guided. And thus, basically, every hit could be a destroying hit. But still 90% because something can go wrong. Then, of course, there's other criteria. And then, of course, we should take a look at the, at the so-called kills, the kill variations. They're basically three kill variations. The mobility kill, which means that the vehicle cannot move, but it can still return fire. Then there's the firepower kill. The vehicle can still move, so it can get away. And then there's the catastrophic kill, which means the vehicle is completely destroyed. Now, let's take a short look at warhead characteristics. So basically what a warhead does, it transfers energy from the warhead to the target. And this is referred to as energy coupling. And the energy forms of a payload are usually thermal, basically heat, then kinetic, for instance, fragments, or if you have a armor-piercing shot, it's also kinetic, then chemical and nuclear. Now, the energy transfer is, of course, affected by many aspects like defenses, the location, the type of energy. And so now first, the blast warheads, it works with a blast effect. As the, there's an explosion, it creates a large amount of gas, which means high pressure and high temperature. And to give you some typical values, around 200 kilobars 
was one bar is the pressure of one atmosphere. So what you usually experience right now. So 200,000 times that much air pressure and the temperature is usually around 4,000 grads Celsius. Now those blast waves are quite complicated so I can't get into much detail here but basically there are two main effects or two main blast waves. One is the fast one which creates a lot of amount of overpressure. Now one is the major overpressure and since then everything has to be balanced out again there's a, a so-called suction phase. Basically it pulls in the other way again which can create quite some stress. And there's also a dynamic wave which acts slower but and affects different kinds of targets. We get to this in more detail when we talk about the damage. Now the effectiveness of a blast wave can be increased by exploding it at a certain height above the ground. And this is caused by so-called Mach reflections. This is, if you remember or if you know, the nuclear bombs were usually exploded above ground. Now it's also important to note that all explosions have a portion of energy released in the form of a blast wave. But there's only one conventional poor blast wave warhead and that is the fuel air explosive one. And a typical non-conventional blast warhead is the nuclear warhead. Now how is the damage transmitted in this case? There are basically two ways, diffraction loading and drag loading. Diffraction loading is the peak overpressure when the when the wave passes, thus everything gets squeezed from multiple directions. Now, inflexible targets are usually not damaged too much by diffraction loading. But there's also drag loading, which is associated with the dynamic pressure wave. Here is less pressure applied, but for a longer duration. And it also changes direction. It's, it's a bit like a wind back and forth. And this leads to a displacement by several meters and it's, this is very dangerous for personnel and aircraft for lighter elements. And also there's a lot of debris flying around. So basically a building won't get affected too much by drag loading, but it will get affected by diffraction loading, whereas an aircraft, for instance, won't get affected too much by diffraction loading, but by drag loading. But since I'm not a physicist, I can't go any deeper in this, especially not in a, in a real, in a simple verbal format. So the next are fragmentation warheads. Basically they explode a container and the container turns into fragments. Now fragmentation warheads are best used against air targets, personal and light equipment. This is of course because air targets are usually fast and they're usually lightly armored, similar to personal and light equipment. Now, why use fragments? Basically, the, the range of the fragments is usually wider than that of the blast damage. So you can hit a larger area, which again makes more sense against personal and aircraft because there's more space involved. More people dispersed. Usually you don't do pinpoints attack with warheads on, on enemy personal. You have snipers for this or but you don't use like a bomb to kill one person. Thus the advantage is greater range, but the disadvantage is they are less crippling to stronger targets. Or the damage is, is less in that effect. But against an aircraft, which is highly complicated and, and in the air, it's, it's something different. So there's always this trade-off. What do you want to achieve? 
Now there are special warheads in the fragmentation category like the annular blast fragmentation. This basically means that it explodes in a ring form, which is very good for anti-air aircraft. And then there's the selectively aimable warhead, which is basically the fragments are aimed at a certain target. You need a special fuse for that that is basically aware where the enemy, what is the direction of the of the target, and then direct the explosion in a way that it goes out that way. You could basically say it, it's a warhead with an intelligent shotgun in it. Now, next are shape charge warheads. I described them already, I think, in two of my videos in Tanks 101 Armor Protection and I think also in the Panzerfaust video, how effective was the Panzerfaust. So basically, you have the hollow charge effect, which is also sometimes called the Monroe effect or Monroe. And typical examples for this are the Panzerfaust and the Bazooka. Now, it's very important. It's called shape charge and hollow charge, which both make sense because if you look at it in a blueprint, it's basically a hollow charge, but it also creates a shape jet that penetrates. So one is more talking about how the weapon is built and the other talks more about the effect. Now, when a shape charge detonates, it creates a high velocity molten jet. Now it's important, it's a molten jet, but it's not a weapon that works with heat. Now this jet basically penetrates or better perforates armor but due to the high pressure. So in a way, the pressure is so high that the armor becomes fluid. And again, this is not a thermal effect. I got this wrong, at least in one of my videos. So it, it doesn't burn through the armor. It, it basically glides through it more. And this is also called a hydrodynamic penetration. Now, another important thing with shape charges is that the penetration value is independent of the speed of the warhead itself. With a regular armor piercing shot, it's very important that it has a high velocity, but in this case, it's not the case. Because the speed of the jet is created from the detonation of the warhead and not from the, from the speed of the warhead itself. Which brings us to the regular armor piercing warheads. These are basically kinetic energy penetrators. This means you have one you have a certain mass, you have it at high speed, high velocity, so you have a lot of kinetic energy, and then it pushes through the enemy. Another part of armor-piercing warhead is, of course, the plastic armor defeat charge, or better known as HASH, the high explosive squash head. Now, first, the kinetic energy penetrator, very heavy hard metal core at a high velocity, and sometimes also fin stabilized and usually with discarding severed to fit into the gun barrel. So usually they have a way lower caliber than the, than the main gun. So you put them in a shell that fits in and then the discarding sabots, the, the, the parts fly off. And then you basically have a, have a dart flying at the enemy. And these are usually made of very dense material, for instance, depleted uranium, which has certain benefits because it's self-sharpening, but also you have radiation and, and some other problems. They're usually called armor-piercing discarding sabots or armor-piercing fin-stabilized discarding sabots. This is the newer version. So basically, if they have fins or not. Now the other is the plastic armor-defeat charge or high-explosive squash head, hash. This doesn't really penetrate. It's, if it hits the armor, 
there's a certain delay and then it explodes outside of the armor. So it's a, basically a stick explosive, but it causes extensive spalling. So spalling is the parts that break off inside or on the other side of the armor plate. So, and, and these parts usually damage the inside of the vehicle and or hit personnel in there. And they are different, they are usually low velocity and they work very well against concrete constructions. Now, as already mentioned a bit before, now the fuel air explosive. This is basically an aerosol cloud of an explosive gas. Now, it's not a high explosive material. So the difference is a high explosive material, there's a short explosion and with high overpressure. This one has a low overpressure, but a much longer duration. So you have an enhanced blast impulse. Basically, it's a militarized vapor cloud, which caused vapor clouds caused quite a lot of troubles in certain industries. Now the next are thermal warheads. They're used to start fires, so basically incendiary ammunition. Best example is napalm, which is basically fuel with a thickener, so you get a gel that you that sticks to the target. Another form is termite, which is a mix of aluminium and iron oxide. Now next are pyrotechnic warheads, which should be not confused with thermal warheads because they are usually used not to deliver direct damage. They're used for signaling, illumination, disguise or market targets. So basically flares, smoke grenades, and smoke you can use to cover your own movement or to mark an enemy target or mark a position, for instance, for a medivac. And another warhead is the hard target penetrator, which is basically bunker busting ammunition. So this is against buried concrete protection and they have special casings. They're usually also quite heavy to keep the momentum and they have special fusing, for instance, they can't count the layers and time that they penetrated. For instance, they can distinguish between earth, rock, concrete, and air. Then there are, of course, antipersonal warheads, usually employed by artillery, for instance, uh, flechette or beehive rounds, which spread around 8,000 darts. Then there are also chaff warheads, which are used to, as decoys and to blind the enemy. And the payload is usually metal-coated fiberglass and the length is determined by the radio wavelength that should be countered. So that one chaff doesn't work for everything. Then another warhead are cluster bomb units, CBU, which are air-delivered canisters with hundreds of little bomblets in them. And they're usually used to cover white pattern. And Cluster ammunition is, of course, usually very specialized against certain targets, for instance, anti-personnel or one to destroy airfields. For instance, if you have one big hole in an airfield, you can cover it rather fast. If you're a repair crew, but you have 120 or something, small holes, it, it gets problematic. Then also for anti-tank, because we know tanks on, on top armor is usually the weakest. And another way would be, for instance, carbon, graphite versus power stations to disable them. And I think in this case, the damage is limited. So this would be if you need to have to infrastructure or if you just need, need basically to, to cut out the energy for a certain time. Because I, I'm not an electrician, so maybe this causes really huge damage. And then there's also the psychological warhead 
which is basically leaflets, but also can be mysterious objects that appear dangerous and so that people stay away from certain areas. And also dummy warheads. They keep people away or they require, for instance, combat engineers or disarming personnel to come in and, and validate. So it uses enemy resources and distraction and everything has a psychological effect. There are also underwater warheads and underwater damage. And uh, I made a video on this, which if you're interested, you should watch. Because it's in the visualized form, it, it can convey the information way better. And on improved explosive devices, which is similar to this topic, I also did a video. You should check it out as well. As we come to the end of this podcast, I, I need to mention I made a little bit of a mistake here because I shouldn't have put up this topic for, for a vote because it's way too technical and not well suited for the podcast format, I think. This is way better for a visualized format. I will keep this in mind for the future to put up more, more topics that make sense in a podcast way. And also in the future, there will be probably other people joining. I'm still determining what is the best way for the podcast. So anyway, I hope you enjoyed this podcast. Everyone on Patreon, thank you for voting. And see you next time. Bye.